Hey, this is Eric, and you're listening to the Story Church Podcast. Our podcast features audio from Sunday mornings at Story Church in Peru, Indiana, a community on the mission of connecting people's story to God's story. If you'd like to connect with us further, check out storyperu.com. Our hope is that today's episode helps you take your next step on your faith journey. I do have a promise for you as we start uh, this week. I promise no more Hitler stuff this week, okay? And if you weren't with us last week, you're probably a little confused. And if it's your first time here, you're probably like, what kind of a cult did I just walk into? Uh, So check out last week if you missed it, but no Hitler references. But I do um, have something to share with you that was crazy that I found this week. Uh, If you were with us last week, I shared that I've kind of got this new Sunday routine where we do church together, we tear down, uh, I run back and eat like a quick lunch, and then uh, I find the couch that's closest to me, and I plop down, and I spend about 15 to 20 minutes just scrolling through Instagram reels looking for something to make me laugh before I fall asleep from my nap. So uh, I did that exact routine last week, and I was sitting on the couch scrolling. I saw some really cute puppy videos, which always works for me. Uh, And then I saw this uh, post that somebody made that had this hang glider on it. And I thought, that seems amazing, because not only do I like cute puppies, uh, but I also like seeing people hurt themselves. And a hang glider seems like a recipe for that. So I was like, this is going to be amazing. I'm going to check it out. Uh, And what I found was actually not funny at all, but it was incredibly intense. And I felt like I have to share this with people. So check this out. Talk about hanging on for dear life. Three, two, one, go. Run, 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 run. The guy in the plaid shirt and white helmet realized a second after takeoff from a 4,000-foot mountaintop that he was not attached to the hang glider. The pilot apparently forgot to hook him up. The tourist from Florida hangs onto the bar with one hand and the pilot with his other hand. The pilot does his best to steer with one arm while grasping onto his passenger with the other. Guy was just trying to stay calm, just trying to hold on for dear life. The danger was real. Imagine falling from this height. I looked down once and I thought to myself, this is it, I'm going to fall to my death. I'm, I'm, go- I'm a goner. Both men are struggling. The tourist, Chris Gursky, goes from clinging to the pilot around his shoulders to barely hanging on to his leg. I didn't have much grip left to me at all. My hand was opening. I was slipping. I had his pant leg. That was about it. After two minutes and 14 seconds, they got close enough to earth that Gursky let go. He hit the ground hard and broke his wrist. He also tore his bicep from holding on with such a tight grip for all that time. An eternity when you think you're going to plummet to your death. The auto parts manager is now back home near Tampa, but he will never forget that terrifying ride. And he will also never again go on a hang glider, I bet. But I I heard somebody say someone got fired. (laughs) That is exactly right. But man, I saw that. Can you imagine how crazy that was? I mean, the series is Take Back Your Life. That guy was just holding on for dear life. Uh, But here's why I wanted to start there. It's because it's really important to know what you're buckled onto, right? Like, Like that guy went, he probably paid decent money. I bet he got decent money back for that whole experience. But but he expected that it was going to go a certain way, like that the pilot would know what he was doing. He would buckle him in. He would be safe. It would be amazing. Uh, But he didn't know. And I was thinking about this uh, as it relates to my life because I will not be on a hang glider anytime soon. I am very content right here on good old earth. Uh, But I was thinking about my daughter, Eden, because we are still in like the car seat stage of life. And if you can remember car seat stage or if you're living it right now or or maybe you just don't know, uh, it's always like 
kind of a game now. She's four years old, so she's moved into the why do we do things phase and the I can do it myself phase, which I think has been a phase for her entire life, and if she's like me, will be. But anyway, uh, so like this week, I noticed that she's starting to be really particular about how I do it. I started to buckle her in, and she said, no, Dada, you're doing it out of order. Like, Mama buckles the bottom buckle first, and then you do the top. I'm like, okay, sorry, like, you're in charge, clearly. But anyway, uh, it's, like, important to see that she's strapped in, right? Every good parent knows you get in the car, you make sure the kid is, like, strapped and the thing's up, like, up here, not down here. So, like, we do all of that, but what Eden doesn't know is that there's a second layer of buckles that are equally important. And if it's been a while, I'll remind you, at the bottom of the car seat, there's like these little hook things, or sometimes they look like a seatbelt, that actually hooks the car seat into the car. A and although like certainly the buckle that you can see is tremendously important, the buckle that you can't see is equally as important because what would happen if I strapped Eden in and, and we got like the shoulder strap on and I'm sitting, but the bottom straps weren't attached, is like she would be safe in the car seat, but the car seat, if I took a turn too fast, would just go and that would not be a good day for Eden, right? A and so she doesn't think about this at all, but I was thinking about it as far as what we're talking about, which is taking back our life. And if you wanna really have control of your life and really live the life that God wants for each of us, we have to acknowledge that it's possible in our lives to have parts of our life that look really put together if you just like take a quick glance, but under the surface, it may actually not be as secure or as safe as we think that it is. We may not be as stable as we think that we are, that there's areas of our lives that maybe look great on the surface, but under the surface, they're not supported. There's no structure, there's nothing taking care of us. So it asks the question, like, what areas of my life, if I'm trying to take it back this season, what are the areas in my life that look like they're put together? But if I'm honest, deep down, there's not that rich foundation or, or that root system that can hold it together. That's what we're gonna talk about a little bit today. We're in this series called Take Back Your Life. We kicked it off last week, and it's all about trying to learn how we can think right so that we can live right. Like having the right perspective on our lives so that we can live out the one God-given life that each of us were entrusted with. And what we're trying to do throughout this series is root out some of the dysfunction, some of the areas in our life that maybe aren't healthy or aren't productive, the, the relationships or the habits or the ways of being that are toxic to us and are holding us back from being the people that God wants us to be. And today, like, we want to dig down past the surface stuff and really ask the question, like, what are you secured to and what are you holding on to? But to give you a quick recap, uh, last week was our wake-up call. Okay, it was the start of a new year, and we did this wake-up call specifically about the reality that you and I are given one life and, and that we're accountable for what we do with that life, that God actually gave you your life, and he instructed us to guard ourselves, to keep ourselves, to keep watch on ourselves because nobody can deceive you like you. Nobody can mess up your life like you. And, and so we talked last week about how our job is to guard ourselves. And specifically, we talked about two things that we need to guard against this year if we really wanna take control of our lives. We said that we need to guard that we don't give in and that we don't give up. We said that there's so many distractions that it's tempting to give into. And, and what tends to happen in our lives is most of us are not bad, but we can tend to get busy, we get distracted, and, and then our life, it's like water in our hands, it just slips away, and then by the end, we don't really have much to show for the one life that we've been given because we just spent it spinning the plates and staying busy, and so we said we had to be mindful to not give in to distractions, we said we have to be mindful to not give in to lies, specifically lies about who we are, those lies that can creep in that say you're never really gonna change, or it's not gonna last, 
right? That God can't use you because of what you've done or that you're always gonna be this way. Uh, we have to guard against believing those kinds of things. And we said we need to guard against giving up. Uh, we need to guard against giving up control to something or to someone because we're, again, called and, and expected to be in control of us, to be intentional about our lives. And at the very end, we talked about how we need to guard against giving up altogether because life is difficult and following Jesus is difficult. But what we said is that God can show up in the midst of even the most broken situations and he can redeem them. He can bring good out of them in this crazy way that only he can do. So last week, we talked about living life awake to the reality that we have to guard ourselves, that we have to keep ourselves, that our days are limited and our job is to keep a handle on ourselves so that we don't lose ourselves along the way. So if we talked about waking up last week, today we're gonna shift our focus to our sight. Because if you've ever woken up, which it looks like all of you did today, way to go. Hopefully you stay that way over the next like 30 minutes or so. Uh, But if you've ever woken up, you know one of the first things that happens is your eyes have to adjust to the light, right? Your eyes have to adjust in order for you to see things clearly. And if you've ever slept in way too late, You've probably experienced where you wake up at like 11 o'clock and it's like, why is it so bright out there? (laughs) Like your eyes have to adjust because you're like, what happened? I thought it was morning and it's afternoon. So that's one way we have to adjust. If you've been on the other end of the spectrum, uh, you know sometimes you wake up really, really early and your eyes are like, why is it still pitch black out there? We all experience this on the other side of daylight savings, right? Like we get used to life one way and then we wake up the next. It's like, why is it dark already? Or for winter, it's like, why is it dark all the time? Uh, It's a big deal for us to get our sight right. Uh, Because especially in terms of like taking back our life and what we're talking about through this series, uh, seeing clearly is a big deal because what we see can shape what we believe, especially over time. The things that we see and we pay attention to can shape the things that we believe about ourselves, about other people, about the world that we live in. And, And that's a big deal because what we believe ultimately shapes how we behave. So what we see can shape what we believe, and then what we believe shapes how we behave. And and so how we see things can really shape the way that our life tends to go. Like, for example, if you see yourself or you see other people through a negative lens, it's easy to be negative about everything. You probably know somebody who's like that, right? Like, maybe they had something bad happen to them, and they're really negative about that. But over time, you see that negativity, like, spill over into every relationship, maybe You've lived like that for a season where something was bothering you in one part of your life and then you realized you were just a little more on edge and a little more negative in every area of your life. How you see can shape what you believe, which can shape how you behave. Or the same thing's true on the positive side. That if you like have a wide open, hope-filled belief that God can do incredible things with each of your days, it's gonna shape the way that your days go. You'll have a different perspective and a different awareness, again, of yourself and of other people and of your role in the world. So in this way, seeing is believing, and then our believing shapes our behaving. And so it's such a big deal for us to make sure that we're viewing life through the right lenses, that we see things clearly. And Jesus talked about this very phenomenon uh, in his most famous sermon known as the Sermon on the Mount. And it's called the Sermon on the Mount because it was a sermon that happened on a mount. Uh, It had nothing to do with the content of his message. He didn't like talk about a mountain. Uh, But rather, the content of his message was the most important part. Jesus gathered uh, this huge crowd of people and his closest followers together, and he started talking about what the kingdom of God was like. Or, Or in other words, he started talking about what it looks like when God is in charge and what our lives are supposed to look like as we follow him in the midst of that. And in the midst of that, here's what Jesus says. He says, your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. 
When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. So Jesus is making that same connection that we were just talking about, that the way that we see things actually impacts the way that our life goes. That if we see well, our lives can be filled with goodness and with light, but if we don't see well, our lives can be filled with darkness and with difficulty. And uh, in fact, he says that like, if you're living in a way that you think is seeing the light, but it's actually seeing darkness, that darkness can be even darker because it's like fooling you and and you're manipulated and you're confused about what's really good and what's really not. And and man, sometimes it can be hard to see things clearly. I can remember when I was in fourth grade, uh, I woke up late for school one morning, like not terribly late, but late enough that I was in that panic when you wake up and you know you're late to something. And, And so I remember I got up and I was doing my routine. I put on clothes and brushed my teeth and got out to the bus stop in time because I knew I'd be in trouble if I didn't make it to the bus stop in time. And and so I booked it to get out there, rode the bus to school, went about my day, talked to my friends. And it wasn't until like halfway through my school day, I think they were taking my picture for some like reading achievement thing, but I don't remember. I I remember I had this certificate that I had to hold up and I was standing there against the bulletin board because you got to have the bulletin board if you're in school, right? And I was standing there and they went to take my picture and I realized, oh no, I'm still wearing my pajama top. Yeah, right? Uh, this is fourth grade Eric, and, and I, it was the 90s, okay? So I had a Hercules pajama top. It was amazing, okay? It had this, like, I, w- I would wear it today, honestly, if I still had it, but it had, like, a red ring around the collar, but I remember it was a little worn out because I wore it every night, a- and so, like, it was kind of droopy at the collar, and it was, like, worn out, so it was, like, little see-through, so you could see all my 11-year-old glory, a- and I was standing there, and I remember being so embarrassed, like, oh, my gosh, I'm in fourth grade, I'm almost in fifth grade or sixth grade, like I'm getting ready to be a preteen, I gotta be cool all of a sudden, and here I am like a little baby in my pajamas at school. And I remember how much embarrassment I felt, but here's what's crazy, I wore it all night, right? I was wearing it all night, I woke up that morning, I was wearing it when I brushed my teeth, my parents' bathroom at the time, as it does now, had a mirror, right? So like I saw the shirt, I'm sure, in the mirror, I sat on the bus, I talked to my friends, nobody said anything, but I didn't see it until that moment in front of the camera, and the reality is, in our lives, we can do the very same thing. We often don't see the full story, right? Rather, in life, we often just see what we want to see. We often just see the things that maybe we pay attention to, or maybe the things that we value, but isn't it true that oftentimes we mistake a lot of our reality for what we want to be there, for what we assume is there, rather than maybe what's actually happening? Uh, There's a leadership guru, a guy named Stephen Covey. He wrote a famous book, called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. It's really popular around this time of the year, and it's a good read if you've never checked it out, but uh, he talked about this dynamic in this way. He says, we see the world not as it is, but as we are, or as we are conditioned to see it. And so if that's true, then the important task in front of us is making sure that we see things clearly and that we see things fully. And uh, this may be bad news today, but all of us have blind spots in life. It doesn't matter how long you've been following Jesus. Like if you're here today and you don't know what you think about Jesus and you're just kind of checking things out, maybe somebody promised you lunch. First, we're really glad that you're here. Uh, But bad news today is you probably have some blind spots in your life, some things that you don't know that you don't know that affect you. But here's the other side. If you've been following Jesus for like 50 something years and, and you're like really trying to stay close to him and you've got this long history of faithfulness, you still have some blind spots today. Some areas where you don't know what you don't know and it's affecting you. And blind spots can really cost us. 
I remember uh, when I was a sophomore in high school, there was a girl that I really wanted to impress, which is a common thing for me in high school. Uh, but I, I got her to hang out with me, and so I went over to her house to pick her up, and I pulled in her driveway, and she got in the passenger seat, and I really wanted to be cool. Right, I was a sophomore, I just got my license, I was in my Pontiac Sunfire, and so I was like, we're going, let's go, babe. And I backed out of the driveway, and I, I went a little too fast, but the thing I failed to do was look in my rearview mirror and realize that there was a red car parked directly behind her driveway, and so I just punched it, and then I punched into it, right? And there was this terrible crunching noise, and I'm like trying to be cool. I look over at the girl, and she's like looking at me. And then it gets worse because the girl whose car I just drilled on the side of the road comes running out of her house, and she's like, "You did you not see it? How do you like yelling at me?" The insurance people got there. Like it was a whole ordeal. I think at some point the girl that I was trying to impress just got out of the car and walked back into her house. <laughs> like <laughs> clearly not going to work out. So. Uh, blind spots can cost you, right? The things you don't see can impact your life, and that's funny when it comes to my dating history, but it can be significant as it relates to your habits or your beliefs, the way that you view the world. Like, we got to ask ourselves, what are the blind spots that I'm blind to? We all know that we are what we eat, right? Because it becomes a part of our body and it shapes our well-being, but for our purposes today, it could be equally true that we are what we see and, and the way that we see it. And this whole idea that we've got to be careful about our perspective in life, that we've got to be careful about what we see and what we allow into our lives, this isn't like fresh new 2023, whatever you're on, 2023 advice. Uh, it's actually something that ran throughout the thread of scripture. It, it was common wisdom in ancient Israel. And in fact, uh, David, who was a king of ancient Israel, wrote a good portion of what we now know as the Psalms. And in the Psalms, he talks about this idea, Psalm 101, he says, I will refuse to look at anything vile and vulgar. I hate all who deal crookedly, and I will have nothing to do with them. He's talking about this idea of being careful of what we see, of what we expose ourselves to. And if you're here, and like maybe you grew up Baptist or something, you're like feeling like the sweat starting to run down the back of your neck because you're like, are they going to do the book burning thing or CDs or like what? That's not necessarily what I'm talking about today, okay? I'm not going to go on a rant about whatever you're watching or whatever you're listening to. Uh, we're not going to like make you cancel your Netflix subscription or anything like that. But the point of what David is getting at here is that it does matter. It does matter what we take in. It does matter what we expose ourselves to, what we uh, spend our attention on. And especially over time, it makes a huge difference what we pay attention to. Uh, like things that are vulgar or violent or whatever, uh, as we expose ourselves to more and more and more of that stuff, what can tend to happen is we desensitize ourselves. So some things that we find funny, maybe in a funny movie, if we experience it in real life, it shouldn't be funny to us, right? But, but over time, it can affect us. And in case you think I'm picking on like media or culture or the world or whatever, I think this can be equally dangerous as it relates to things like the 24-hour news cycle, right? If you just keep that rolling and you hear all the outrage from your perspective or your side's perspective and about how the other side is the enemy, what we can tend to do is we allow other voices other than God's, other perspectives, other than God's to be, become the dominant perspective in our lives. And we have to pay attention to how we're seeing and what we're seeing because it shapes our lives. And, and in fact, it's not just the bad things that we need to be mindful of, right? The stuff that you're not supposed to watch that's out there. But we also need to be mindful of the idea of busyness. We said that last week, that many of us in our lives, it's not that we're bad, it's just that we're busy. And so maybe for you, it, it's not like what show that you're watching, it's just how much of it you're watching how many hours you're actually giving to something that maybe isn't wicked, 
but in the grand scheme of things, it may be kind of worthless, right? And again, your life is slipping away from you as you spend it on things that ultimately don't matter. David talks about this in another psalm. He says it like this. He says, turn my eyes from worthless things and give me life through your word. This would be the obvious pastor, like cancel Netflix and read your Bible statement. But that's, again, not what I'm saying. There's another uh, translation of that verse that says, uh, revive me again in your way. Like, honestly, David could have said, help me take back my life, right? Help me understand what life is really supposed to look like. And God wants us to not just avoid wicked things, but he also wants us to stay away from worthless things because they can become things that hold us back, things that just distract us from the bigger picture of what our lives are meant to be all about. Because as the old saying goes, the eyes are the windows to your soul, or as Jesus said, your eye is a lamp to your body. And what that means is what you see will impact you. That what you see and what you use to make sense of the reality that we're living in actually shapes you. And it shapes the story that you're writing with your life and the way that you live and and the lives of those around you as well. That what we see matters. And I don't know if you've ever done this, but have you ever bumped into something in your house? Like maybe you're like me and you think you're really confident about the floor plan and you're like, I'm going to be fine. I don't need to turn on the light or whatever. And then you drill yourself into the coffee table or something like that. Just me? Okay. Well, if that's ever happened, uh, there's typically one of two reasons that that happens. One is that there's not enough light. Okay, this is my Sunday morning dilemma uh, almost every Sunday morning, especially if I haven't planned ahead and like laid out clothes because like I wake up early to get here and to get stuff set up. And and so it's real dark when I get up and my wife is there sleeping and now my puppy is there sleeping and she's like really the concern because she'll start whining if she sees me. So I'm like creeping around through the dark, trying to get in my drawer but not make it too loud, try and find clothes that possibly match. And more often than not, I run into the side of the bed or I run into the dresser or something like that because there's just not enough light. That's one reason we run into things. But there's a second reason that sometimes we can get a little disoriented along the way, and it's when there is enough light, but our eyes just aren't working properly. Right? Like this has probably happened to you if you've ever, honestly, in this environment, you've been watching a movie and it's really dark and your eyes adjusted to that light, and then maybe it's like a summer day and you walk outside these doors and it's like, whoa, what just happened? The problem isn't that there's not enough light to see. The problem is that your eyes haven't adjusted and they're not working properly. And that's more what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is saying, hey, there's plenty of light in the world. In fact, that's what Jesus came to announce. He's like, God's presence is here among us. God is with us, and there's plenty of light. But if the light that's in you is dark, that that if your eyes aren't working properly, it doesn't matter how much light there is if you're not receiving that light and you're not using that light. And here's maybe another little wake-up call moment. That means it's possible for some of us to claim that we follow Jesus, to claim to be a Christian, but in practice, to really be a spiritual eyesore, to, to go about our lives like claiming that we follow Jesus, but when it comes to how we actually view life, we have a vindictive posture where anybody who hurts us is gonna get theirs, right? Or we have a petty view on life where we're caught up in all kinds of little things that don't matter. We have an anxious life or a worried life or a life filled with mistrust or greed. Like we can say that we believe in Jesus, that we trust in Jesus, but if we don't see things by the light, it's gonna affect our lives. It's gonna affect how things go. And talking about all this thing, like seeing uh, blindness and then seeing clearly, uh, maybe it reminds you, like it reminded me, of that famous hymn, Amazing Grace, with the famous line, right? I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Yeah, thanks, that was a little half-hearted, I won't lie. Blind, 
I get it. Anyway, yeah, I was blind, but now I see. Uh, this is like this dynamic that is at the heart of Christian faith, that we can change, that we can be different, that we can be lost and we can be found, that we can be blind, but then have sight once again. And that metaphor, that idea, uh, one of the primary ways it shows up in the story of God happens in the life of the Apostle Paul. Paul was a guy who hated Christians when the church first started. He thought that they were this offshoot of Judaism that was getting it all wrong, that Jesus was crazy and his followers were messed up. And so he went out to stop it like a good Pharisee, to, to preserve the truth and protect the truth. And, and so he went out to stop the church movement. And then eventually he had this encounter with Jesus that flipped everything for him. And, and in fact, it involved some blindness. Uh, he encountered this bright light. It said he was blinded by it. And, and then eventually the scales fell from his eyes and he saw Jesus clearly. And uh, there's actually a print I have I intended to hang it up in my office. I've never done it. It's just sitting on my desk. But I love this print that captures that moment uh, where Paul has this encounter with Jesus. We've got a picture of it if you want to check it out. Uh, I mean, it's kind of an intense picture, but it's this moment that was a before and after for Paul's life, right? Paul, the guy who was killing Christians, became one. Paul, the guy who wanted to stop the church, started planting churches. It, it was this radical transformation. And we love that kind of stuff in the church, don't we? I, I mean, that's often a pivotal, if not the pivotal, starting point for our faith. When something changes, when something connects for the first time, when we can genuinely say, I once was lost and now I'm found, I once was blind, but now I see. But I think in our everyday, ordinary lives from that point, sometimes we can forget that there's different degrees of blindness. A and what can tend to happen in church world is we can get so focused on that like first transformational moment that we just focus on that question, like when did you get saved? Or when did you give your life to Jesus? Or when were you like a wretch, but now you're like amazing or whatever the line is. Like when did you have that moment of transformation? And what we contend to do is we miss that although faith can happen in a moment, it takes a lifetime to work out. And that although we can have that transformational moment, and of course we celebrate that around here, what we can forget is that even though we're saved and even once we're forgiven, we can still have areas in our lives that have blind spots. We can still have blindness that we need healed from. There can still be brokenness in areas of our lives where we're not seeing things correctly. And what I hope you're hearing from me today is we want to take back our lives this year. It's that God wants you to see clearly, that God wants you to see more for your life than you may see for yourself in this moment. He wants you to be aware that you don't see as well as he does right now and that he wants to lead you in expanding your vision and healing the unhealthy parts of your eyesight, that he wants you to tap into the fullness of sight and a vision that he wants you to have for your life. And if you don't think I'm right about that, Jesus talked about it in like his mission statement speech he gave at the very beginning of his ministry. Uh, Jesus goes into the synagogue and he unrolls the scroll for the day and he quotes this prophecy about who the Messiah, who the Savior would be. And here's how he describes his mission. He says he was anointed to bring the gospel to the poor, to heal broken hearts, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovery of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And when Jesus said that, he wasn't just talking about like one-time miracles that he did when he walked this earth, and, and he wasn't just talking about that one moment of salvation in our lives, but Jesus wants to do the ongoing work in each of our lives of helping us see more clearly, of helping us heal from the broken parts of our life, of helping us become more healthy and more whole the way that he intended life to work. And do you know what is really scary about having an unhealthy eye or an unhealthy perspective? What's really scary about having an unhealthy eye is that your eye is capable of adjusting. 
and here's what I mean. Uh, I wore these on Christmas, and like half of you panicked because you didn't know that I had glasses. I got so many people in the lobby like, are those real or are you just trying to be cool? These are real. Uh, I am trying to be cool, but these are also real. Um, and I've had these glasses since the sixth grade. And the reason that I have these glasses is I can distinctly remember the day I was hanging out in the lunchroom with a friend of mine who wore glasses. I didn't at the time. And I was not a good listener to my mom who told me that I shouldn't mess around with other people's glasses because it could mess up my eyesight, right? Did your mom tell you that too? She's right if she did because I put on my friend's glasses and in one of the like weirdest physical experiences of my life, I feel like <laughs> at that point or beyond, I, I put these glasses on and there was this moment, right, I first put them on, it wasn't my prescription because I didn't need a prescription, so it was all fuzzy, but there was this moment where like my eyes somehow shifted, they like focused and everything through the glasses suddenly became clear and I took them off and it was fuzzy. And I was like, oh no. And believe it or not, at first at least, me and my friend had the same prescription on our glasses because my eyes adapted in that moment. It somehow damaged my eyesight, not in a significant way. Okay, I don't wear contacts, I don't wear glasses, like I'm fine for now. I have an active driver's license, we're good. But uh, my point is like, that can happen in our lives too. Like we might have an unhealthy eye, we might not be seeing clearly, and your eye might have adjusted to this unhealthy perspective on things. And the danger is that we might not even notice the areas in our life where spiritually or relationally or emotionally we're settling for less than what God wants for us. That we might not even be aware of it. And that may be why as I'm going on, you're like, look, I don't need this one today, okay? I see fine. Maybe, okay, maybe. But all of us can tend to adapt to however we want to see things. And sometimes it leads us to missing out. So real quickly, as we wrap up, I want to give you uh, maybe five areas of life to consider how you're seeing things and, and how you're responding to the things that you see around you. And we're gonna do it through the metaphor again of the eye, looking at five things that can happen to our eyes that we need to be mindful of and, and what we can do about them. And so the very first thing is pressure. Like how are you doing as it relates to pressure in your life? You may or may not know this, but I learned a little bit of biology nerdery this week, that your eye and my eye, they're actually under constant pressure. That's a part of like what makes us healthy and able to see that, that your eyes need, I don't know what the units were, but there's 10 to 20 units of eye pressure that your eye needs to have in order to healthily function. And if you've ever had an eye injury, what can tend to happen is like if there's like a serious injury and there's bleeding behind it, the pressure can build up and even get as high as like 50 to 60 units. And when that happens, you start to have headaches and blurred vision and even other parts of your body can start to ache if the pressure is built up too much around your eye. I don't think I have to do a lot of convincing to help you agree with me that we live in a world full of pressure, don't we? I mean, there's the pressure to measure up, there's the pressure to pressure to be a success, there's pressure at school, there's pressure at work, there's pressure with your family, there's pressure to post about it and look really good online. Right? Like everywhere you go, there's pressure. A and, and we have and we have to deal with pressure in this world. Like it's not going to go away. In fact, Jesus talked about that. He made a statement once. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. But here's the question for us. What do you do when you face that pressure? Like how do you respond when you feel the pressure of this world pushing down on you. If we look at Jesus, we can actually find an example of how to respond. Because Jesus, as he lived and walked this earth, also felt pressure. Right? He was a guy who was going around teaching about God, healing people. For a season, he became wildly popular, and so there was pressure surrounding him. But what Jesus did, following almost every significant ministry moment in his life, whether it was healing someone, or feeding thousands, or just teaching, 
is he would withdraw immediately after those moments, and he would go to a place where he could connect with his heavenly Father again. And I think Jesus understood uh, maybe what we need to learn is that we're kind of meant to operate like a submarine in a world full of pressure. And if you don't know how a submarine works, if like the submarine goes deep into the water, there's a lot of water pressure on the outside of it. And so in order for that vessel to stay safe, it has to be equally pressurized on the inside to balance it out. And our lives are meant to be like that too. We live in a world of pressure, but it's possible for us to have a good pressure inside of us if we do what Jesus did and we stay connected to our Heavenly Father who helps us understand uh, how to see things, how to carry the pressure in this world. And so maybe for you, if you're feeling the pressure of this world, you need to adjust things and you need to connect back with your heavenly father who can help you carry that pressure in a healthy way. A second thing that can happen to our sight uh, is this reality of trauma. A and trauma is a big topic in our world today. I feel like we're becoming more and more aware of how trauma can affect us and kind of affects everything, but uh, as it relates to an eye, if your eye experiences trauma, like somebody hits you or you get something in your eye and it's bad, uh, we all know probably like an eye injury, it might initially get kind of puffy or red, uh, but pretty quickly our bodies are amazing and they can heal and that will go away, but the trauma that happens to an eye can leave lasting effects. You can have blurred vision a lot longer than you have a red eye. Like the external evidence might go away, but the impact of the trauma remains that's how trauma works in our lives spiritually, relationally, and emotionally as well. Like if you go through something traumatic, here's the bottom line, trauma changes us. There is no option to not be changed by a traumatic experience. And here's maybe the other bad news, is life is full of traumatic experiences. Like we go through difficult things time and time and time again, but we have a choice in how we respond to it. See, trauma is gonna happen in our lives and again, the more I am like trying to be a trauma-informed leader and learn about trauma, the more I almost feel like we could just equate the word trauma and the word sin, because it's just like the brokenness and the pain of the world that shows up, but that's a different topic for a different day. But my point is there may be things that you're carrying that are shaping the way you're seeing the world. That pain from your childhood, when you were the kid who couldn't afford lunch, or your friends went out to go buy all their nice new clothes and all you had were hand-me-downs, and, and you felt shame over that, it's possible that that's still with you. The brokenness of family dynamics can last with you for years if it's not processed. And, and here's my point. You have to change when you go through traumatic things, but the choice is yours. If you ask the question, will it make you bitter or will it make you better? Trauma can do either thing. If we go through something traumatic, if we leave it unprocessed, typically it makes us bitter. We wall up to protect ourselves from that hurt that's in us. And, and so then we get bitter and we get protective and we create distance. But it's possible to actually go through trauma in a way that heals, in, in a way that makes you better. And so the question is like, will you let God, if you're carrying trauma this season, will you let God fit you with new lenses to see life in a new way on the other side of the trauma that's changed you? The choice is yours, but he can do it if we allow him to. Three other quick things, I promise. Uh, with our eyes, there's the idea of focus. I mean, that's an obvious one, right? That's why some of us need glasses, uh, because we can't focus well. But I think a good question to ask if you want to take back your life is what are you focusing on really? What really has your attention in this life? What means the most to you in this life? And what's your go-to thing when you feel like you're losing control or you feel that pressure? There's something kind of fascinating about this passage that Jesus shared about in the Sermon on the Mount that we've been talking about today. It's actually bookended by two state famous statements that Jesus made about our money and our possessions. 
Uh, I'll show you what I mean. So uh, what we looked at where Jesus said the eye is the lamp of the body is in Matthew 6.22. But in Matthew 6.20, just two verses earlier, here's what Jesus was saying. He says, store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and rust do not destroy and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then he goes on and he says what we looked at today, that your eye is like the lamp for your body. A- and then two verses later, okay, he says what we've looked at today. Then he goes into the famous line that you cannot serve two masters. You will either love one or hate the other. You cannot love both God and money. So it's like Jesus is talking about possessions and stuff, and then he has this random break where he's like, by the way, did you know that what you look at matters? And then goes back to stuff and money. And that might feel random, except I think Jesus knew that many of us tend to focus on things that are actually distractions, that our focus, our, our eyes can deceive us, and we can make things more important than they actually ought to be in life. I think Jesus knew that one of the chief competitors for our devotion to him is our stuff. A- and so here was his gut check. He said, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. I- in other words, where your treasure goes <coughs> tends to reveal what you actually value most. And so maybe for you, if you want to like get clear perspective on how you're living and what you really value, you can see what you're focusing on if you follow the trail of your money. And if you like what you see, that's amazing. Keep it up. But if you don't, maybe it's time to make some adjustments. Two more. Uh, as it relates to our eyes, if you've ever gone to the eye doctor and, and you put your eye in the little machine and it does a little puff of air thing into your eyes, uh, that's prompting something called dilation, which is the thing that helps your eyes adjust to different uh, amounts of light. It's all about how much light is actually coming in or how little light is coming in. That can be true for our lives spiritually as well. Uh, For many of us, maybe you're like, man, I'm all in. I want to take back my life. Like, I want things to be different. God, I want to live life as you've designed it. But if you look at your actual habits and you're actually, like, your connection level with God, you're not actually doing anything to let more light into your life. I mean, maybe you're showing up here for, like, an hour or so on a Sunday, and that's an amazing first step. I'm so glad that you're here. But what if, you intentionally this season allowed your sight to get a little brighter by letting more light in. You allowed yourself to open your eyes to see things how God sees them, that you looked out for what he's doing in your life, that you remembered that he's right there with you in the midst of whatever you're going through in your life, that you remember how loved you are, and in that way, you allow more light in so that you can see more clearly. Maybe for you this season, You need to intentionally, like with your calendar, prioritize spending time with God, whether that's through prayer or reading scripture. And and man, if that's you, we would love to help you do so. Uh, But the point is sometimes we need to let a little more light in to be able to see things more clearly. Uh, One last thing as it relates to the eye, but also can relate to our life. Uh, This is a little bit of a weird word. Is the idea of brilliance. And I don't mean brilliance like brilliant or like, like amazing or anything like that. Uh, But really, uh, when I'm talking about brilliance in our eyes, it's about the brightness that we carry in our eyes. And I I felt the dynamic or really the impact of a loss of brightness um, about a month ago when I first got our puppy, Penny. uh, We were playing together. Literally, I'd had her for like a week, and I thought I broke her. Uh, because we were playing and I had this rope toy and she is all puppy all the time right now. So she was like down the hallway and kept running back and forth and we were playing and it was awesome and wholesome and fun and all that. Uh, But she made this turn one time and she ran at me and I thought she, I had the rope toy like this. I thought she was going to come and grab that, but she went for my sleeve instead because she's a puppy. And so somehow like I tried to jerk my arm back, but when I did that, I like whipped the rope and that rope toy clocked her right in the eye. I mean, she let out this yelp that, like, crushed my soul. 
Okay, I'm like, oh my gosh, my puppy. And she ran and she hid from me and I was like trying to love her. Like, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean to do it. And like counsel her and she turned and she looked up at me and I remember being like, oh no. Because I learned a little about dog biology. Uh, they have this eyelids called the third eyelid. It, it actually protects their eyes, especially when they have a traumatic event like their dad hitting them with a toy. Uh, and so her third eyelid had swollen up like instantly to protect her. And something I love about this puppy is like her cute little puppy eyes, right? I mean, you can't get any better than cute puppy eyes. But she was looking at me with one cute puppy eye <laughs> and one like monster <laughs> eye that was like rolling back in the back of her head. And I was like, like uh, for my first thought is how am I going to explain this to Eden <laughs> that this is now our dog, <laughs> right? Like, I mean, I don't mind. I kind of like that she has a past. But anyway, like uh, what happened in her eye is it had lost its brilliance, right? It lost its brightness. It, it was protecting itself, but it kind of had this milky look to it and, uh, isn't it true that sometimes life can do that to us? That, that sometimes it can be hard to still carry that lighthearted brightness that maybe you once had through all the stuff of life, even if it's not like terribly heavy stuff, just the monotony of living in this world. It can take that brightness and that hope and, and that brilliance out of us. There's a psalm uh, that, to be honest, I've been following Jesus for a while now, and, and I've read the Bible plenty, but I, I'd never really caught this line before in Psalm 13. Uh, David again, is praying, and he says, turn and answer me, O Lord my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes, or I will die. Which that last part, David's an artist, so that happens sometimes, where he's like, bring me life or I'll die. But, but man, maybe for you this season, that needs to be your prayer. Like, maybe you feel like you're seeing things clearly, and it's not about pressure or trauma or any of that kind of stuff, but maybe things are just kind of dull. Maybe your faith has just kind of gotten stale. Maybe it just feels like God's there, but he's not really doing anything. What if your prayer this season was, God, restore the sparkle to my eyes. Bring the brilliance back. Bring the brightness back. Bring, bring the sense of adventure back to what it really means to follow you. Because here's the thing. God doesn't just want you to have sight in your eyes. He wants you to have a sparkle in your eyes. Like, he doesn't just want your eyes to be dull and glossed over, and I've seen it all before. He doesn't want your eyes flat and faded and chronically tired and given over to stress and worry. But God wants all of us, if we're followers of Jesus, he wants us living lives where our eyes are shining with hope and shining with purpose and, and resolve and, and maybe even things like whimsy and wonder and, and passion, like a twinkle in our eyes. And I love the way that the message translation captures this very idea uh, in the letter to the church in Rome uh, that we know as the book of Romans. And uh, I, I talked about the message last week. It's this contemporary English translation of the Bible. Uh, but in this part of the letter to the church in Rome, Paul is writing about what life with Jesus is supposed to look like. He, he's trying to explain to them what it really means to follow Jesus and to see life the way that Jesus lived it. And, and here's how Eugene Peterson in the message translation captured this. He says, this resurrection life that you received from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant, greeting God with a childlike, what's next, Papa? And what if you taken back your life this season? Just means trying to start every day with that. Right, not the drudgery and the monotony of life as we know it. And I mean, that's part of life. We have to learn how to deal with it. But what if in your faith, what if in your spirit, what if the way that you saw your every day, you woke up adventurously expectant to God, saying, what are you going to do today, God? What's next, Papa? Right? What, what are you going to do today? Our lives are not meant to be timid, grave-tending lives. 
We're meant to be adventurously expectant. God wants us to wake up with excitement and anticipation for how we can see the world and how we can live in the midst of it. So how's your eyesight doing? Let me pray for you. God, uh, this is one of those things that maybe seems obvious but can be so difficult to live out. Um, It can be so easy for us to have an unhealthy perspective and to not know it. I mean, that's why they're called blind spots. It's because we can't see them. So God, I pray for my friends here today who may be wrestling with some of this. Maybe somebody's here and and they're feeling the pressure of life and it's just weighing them down. God, I pray that they could discover a pressure inside of them that counterbalances that, that your spirit could work inside of them to give them an inner strength that helps them navigate a, a chaotic world. I pray for my friends here who are carrying trauma with them, something that happened in their past or maybe even something recent, but it's a big something that has layers and layers of impact on their life. Uh, God, I pray that they would have the courage to not just wall off from that, not just push it down, not just try and grin and bear it, but they would have the courage to open up and face it, that in the face of their trauma, they wouldn't grow bitter, but they could actually grow better and use that trauma for good. I pray for those of us whose focus has drifted, those of us who maybe are wrapped up in possessions or things or the pursuit of more, and we've lost sight of what really matters. Help us to focus on what matters. God, for the person who needs to let a little more light in, help them create a rhythm that helps them do that, whether that's praying with you in the morning or the evening, uh, whether it's reading scripture, just meeting with a friend. Uh, Help us all let more light into our lives. And God, for each of us, restore the brilliance to our sight. Help us to approach life adventurously expectant, believing that you want to do more each day in us and through us. And God, in that way, help us to see clearly so that we can live well. Help us to see and think rightly so that we can live rightly as you design life to work. God, we pray and we ask all of that in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you live in or near the Peru, Indiana area, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend gatherings. To find directions, service times, and information about our environments for kids, visit us at storyperu.com.